You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. preparing them now to go out into a world where ravenous wolves wait, where people are waiting to tear them apart and rip them to shreds, where there'll be persecution, there'll be hate, there'll be torture, there'll be affliction, and all sorts of maladies. And he's preparing their hearts for this task that he's going to give them to go and make disciples, to go and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to go into all the world and preach. Have you ever been involved in something that you knew if it wasn't for the Lord, you probably would have failed miserably? In today's message, Pastor Dave reflects on how the Lord prepared his disciples to go and boldly claim the gospel. In his study, you'll learn how their faith, courage, and reliance on the Spirit was crucial. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 13 as he begins his message, The Sovereign Servant. You are If you have your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. John, chapter 13. We're going to specifically looking at verses 1 through 5. So find your way to the glorious Gospel of John. I'd like to read aloud if you want to follow along silently, please, as we begin today's study. John, chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil already having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So the Gospel of John is taking a turn. Taking a turn. Jesus' public ministry has ended. His public ministry has come to an end. He has withdrawn from the crowds of people, having given them one final plea, one last plea, one last chance to believe upon him unto eternal life. And now he wants to spend the rest of his time here on earth with his disciples. He wants to gather them together and he wants to be with them specifically beginning with a supper, a dinner. We read in John 12, verse 35, that it says, These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. So he was hidden from the large crowds. They were meeting now in a secret place. They were meeting in a quiet place, a place that Jesus had designed for them to meet in. And even though his public ministry was over, his teaching was far from over. 
Jesus is the ultimate teacher. In fact, he's the master teacher. And in this next section of the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17, Jesus now speaks directly to his disciples. He wants to teach them. He wants to exhort them. And he's preparing them for their future. A future without him bodily with them. He's preparing them now to go out into a world where ravenous wolves wait. Where people are waiting to tear them apart and rip them to shreds. Where there'll be persecution. There'll be hate. There'll be torture. There'll be affliction and all sorts of maladies. And he's preparing their hearts for this task that he's going to give them to go and make disciples. To go and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To go into all the world and preach. He's warning them of the perils and the danger that they're going to face. But he's instructing them to fear not. Don't, don't be afraid. You believe in me. You believe in God. Let not your hearts be troubled. Continue in the faith. And this is good, good counsel. This is good counsel for us. Many of you are dealing with afflictions. Many of you are dealing with perils. Many of you are dealing with trials and tribulations, illnesses and the like. It's the same thing that Jesus is saying to his disciples. I'm saying to you here today. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him, a God who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly all that you could ever think or ask. A God who wants nothing but to bless you and to pour his love out upon you. He's with you right now. As the boat you're in is rocking, as it's taking on water and it appears to be sinking, Jesus is right there with you. He's been in your spot before. And he's saying, trust in me. I've got this under control, child. I've got this under control. During this section, Jesus is going to give his disciples examples by which they can live their lives. Examples that they can live the Christian life and walk in the glory of God. He's going to show them, not just tell them. He's going to show them and give them examples of how they should walk. It's called, for those of you who are scholars, the Upper Room Discourse. Technically, the Upper Room Discourse. And it can be found in all four Gospels in one way or the other. But as we go through these scriptures in this section, my prayer for each of us is that we would discover a special message just for us. A special message just for you. A nugget, if you will, that I like to talk about that would help you in your specific Christian walk. A little nugget, a little gem that God wants to give you to show you his love. Something that we can apply to our own lives. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And it is my prayer and my hope that I am also speaking to Jesus' disciples. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. Learners. One who want to be more like him. Want to know him better. And in that, these messages are for you and me. They're for all of us. So we need to look at them. We need to be strengthened by what we see here, what we hear here. We need to be strengthened because what's going to happen here is Jesus is going to expose his heart. 
He's going to expose his heart, and we should open our ears, we should open our hearts, and open our eyes, and allow his words to penetrate our deepest being. And that's my prayer for us today, is that we would begin this journey with Jesus that begins tonight, because the cross is mere hours away. We're not talking days any longer, we're talking hours. The cross is hours away. So it's important for us to look at these scriptures. Let's begin by looking again at verse 1. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So John says it was before the Passover feast. In the other Gospels, there seems to be a mixed view of when this dinner took place. The Gospels say it was at the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, Luke even goes as far as it says, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called Passover. Now, the scholars want to fight over when this took place, when these words were spoken. And for some reason, it's important to them. Well, what I can tell you the truth is this did happen. It took place on a day prescribed by the Lord. And it doesn't matter if you believe it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread or if you believe it was Passover, you believe. It doesn't matter. It believes that what Jesus says here is true. And it's meant for us. It's meant for us. But it gives us a time reference. Jesus wanted to share a meal with his disciples. He wanted to, to share it. He wanted to, most people believe that it was a Passover meal. But it might have been celebrated the day before Passover. We're not really sure. But the chronology is the issue because in some passages, it seems that Christ was crucified on a different day. But that's not the point here. The point here is it took place. It happened. And all that other stuff is meaningless to me. What's important is these words that Jesus spoke. These, what Jesus did here. And that's what's important. Hard to find one answer that people can agree on. So in our text today, like I said, we're a mere hours away from the cross. In just a very short time, Jesus would be arrested. He would be tried, beaten severely, and hung on a cross to die. Just a mere matter of hours. Jesus knew where he was from. He knew who sent him. He knew where he was going. And this hour had finally come. All through the Gospel of John, Jesus has been talking about his hour hasn't come yet. I can't do this because my hour hasn't come. But now the hour is finally here. This was the hour he was sent to earth for. This was the hour of his glorification. This is the time. This was the hour that Jesus focused on his entire ministry. His face like a flint to the cross. From our point of view, this hour means suffering. Suffering to the utmost. I can't imagine what he went through. But from a divine point of view, this hour means glory. And for those of us who believe, this hour had to happen for our salvation. One commentator said this, quote, when the servant of God is in the will of God, he is immortal until his work is done. How many times before did they try to kill Jesus? Did they try to take him? Did they try to arrest him? But his hour hadn't come. 
because he was in the will of God. But now the time had come. He was going to depart from this world and he was going to return to the Father. Jesus loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. And the Greek word here is telos. It means literally to perfection. He loved them to completion. He loved them to the uttermost or to the fullest extent that he could possibly love them. It's not that Jesus loved them to the end of his life. He loved the disciples with everything he had. What strikes me about this is that he loved these guys with everything he possessed. To the limit that he was capable. And this house translated. You hear the cross is right before him. The cross is right there. He doesn't focus on the cross. He focuses on his guys. He focuses on you and me. He focuses on his disciples. And as I was standing backstage praying, waiting to come up here, the Lord really impressed upon my heart something that I have to share with you. Something that I really have to share with you. If Jesus loved us to the end, to the utmost, to perfect completion, why can't we love him the same way? Why can't we give him all of us? He gave us all of him, and we should be giving back to him all that we are. Everything that we possess, we should be giving to him in his glory, for his glory. It really struck me hard. He gave, he gave everything he had to these disciples. If you call yourself a disciple, you should be giving everything back to Jesus Christ. It should be the same way. Look at these disciples. Look at these disciples, a group of misfits, a group of guys from all sorts walks of life, always arguing on who's the greatest. In fact, in Luke's gospel, the doctor records that the disciples are arguing even at this meal. Who's the greatest? Maybe right before Jesus stands up, he looks at the disciples and he looks beyond their failures. He looks beyond their flaws. Jesus looks beyond their constant bickering. He looks beyond that. Why? Because Jesus saw in these men overcomers who were victorious in him. He looks at you the same way. He doesn't see your flaws. He doesn't see your imperfections. He doesn't hear your constant bickering. He looks at you and he sees completion. He sees overcomers who are victorious in him. Do you see yourself that way? That's how Christ sees you. That's how the Lord sees you today. So Jesus, having loved them to the end, is now going to show them one last demonstration of love before he shows the world the greatest demonstration of love ever. He has one last thing he wants to show these disciples in love. What Jesus does in the upper room is actually a preview of the meaning of the cross. The cross is where the essentials of divine love for mankind are represented. Paul tells us in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is demonstrating this love now to his disciples. Look at verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. 
The love Jesus had for his disciples could not be quenched by evil. The love could not be quenched by evil. Satan had already touched the heart of Judas. And he would known, be, be known hereafter as the betrayer. And anyone who betrays someone else will always be called a Judas because of this very thing. Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that Satan had put this into his heart. And it's interesting because if you look up the word put, P-U-T, in the Greek, it's the word for throw. I get a picture here of fiery darts being thrown by the evil one. Being fiery darts by, thrown by the evil one. Listen to one commentator had the same thing. He said, quote, Judas was not a believer, so he was not protected by the shield of faith. Oh, brothers and sisters, how we need to have that shield of faith. How we need to have that shield of faith to protect us from those fiery darts which Satan is firing at us even right now. So Jesus knows this is happening. And then in one of the greatest acts of humility in the history of mankind, in an act of true love, Jesus, the sovereign God, becomes the sovereign servant. Jesus, the sovereign God, becomes the sovereign servant. Look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. Jesus was fully conscious of who he was. He knew the power he possessed. He knew that all things were given to him and been placed into his hands. He knew he had come from God and he was going from God. So let me point it out this way. John tells us there was nothing made that was not made except by Jesus. So Jesus is the creator. So here we have the creator of the entire universe who humbles himself as a man and subjects himself to his own creation. The exalted king becomes the servant. The exalted king takes a position of lowliness and humbles himself before those he created. He humbles himself before those whom he loves. This is an extreme act demonstrated by an extreme act of servanthood. This extreme act of love is demonstrated now by an extreme act of servanthood. Jesus' love transcends all barriers of class structure. It transcends all barriers of class structures. The phrase, knowing that he came from God, tells us that Jesus was well aware of his divine origin and knowing where he was going. And Jesus tells us he's well aware of his divinity. He knows who he is. But he humbles himself. He humbles himself. He condescends to minister and to serve those who are infinitely inferior to him. He serves those who are infinitely inferior to him. One commentator I studied said this, quote, Divine love leaped over the boundaries of class distinction and made the Lord of glory the servant of men. Unquote. So once again, Jesus now demonstrates his vast love for his disciples. And he gives them an example by which they should live. And he's giving us an example by which we should live also. Jesus' love is an active love. Jesus' love is not a passive love. Jesus' words are followed by action. 
He is an active participant in this love story. He doesn't just say, yeah, I love you. No, his actions prove that he loves them. His actions prove that he is a lover of men. Jesus demonstrates his love by his actions. How many times do we say, oh yeah, I love this person or I love that person, but what do our actions say? What do our actions say? Our actions say a lot about you. They really do. They say an awful lot about you. Are you just mouthing off, oh, I love them? Because that's what you think they want to hear? Or you think that's what God wants to hear? You don't think God knows your heart? Where's the action in that? Oh, I love you. You know, James says, well, you'll see somebody on the street, and you can help them. You have the means to help them, and you cross over and go, pray for you, brother. Where's the action in that? Jesus' love is action. It's activated by love. It's activated by action. He puts words with action behind it. Would you be willing to be a servant? Would you be willing to serve someone inferior to you? Let's look at Jesus' response. Rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which with he was girded. Now, it's believed that the upper room was in someone's house. It's believed that this was someone's house and there was an upper room that they obtained. And you can go look at the other Gospels that said Peter and John were sent on a mission to get the upper room. They found this room and they occurred it or procured it for the Passover dinner. In someone's house in those days, it was extremely customary, almost demanded, that when you entered into the house, the first thing that was going to happen to you was the lowest of all slaves would come to your feet with a basin and wash your feet. That was the custom in those days. They wore sandals or no shoes at all. They were filthy, dirty, stinky feet that the lowest of low servant washed. That was their job. That was what they were given. Since the meeting was probably in secret, there was no slave there to wash their feet when they entered. The disciples, when they were coming in, were too busy going, I'm the greatest. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. That's all they cared about. They were thinking and arguing amongst them. I'm the greatest. They didn't even notice there was nobody there to wash their feet. But when they did, I'm sure none of them volunteered. I'm not going to wash your feet. No way. I'm not going to wash your feet. No. Beneath me to wash your feet. But Jesus saw it differently. And he humbled himself, taking on a job of a servant, taking on a job of a slave. Look at the action verbs that he used here. He rose up from the table. He laid aside his garments. By the way, the garment he laid aside are going to be the same garments that a few hours from now they're going to be tossing dice for to get. You are a sure.
The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit assurehoperadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at assurehoperadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on Assure Hope.